We're back today with another episode of our series, Best of Psychology. The basic idea of the series is that biblical counseling has always been known for how it was against psychology. And with reason, there's a lot we object to. But we've also always said that there is good in the secular psychological endeavor, which is our neighboring discipline. This series is our attempt to explore that side of the equation a bit further. You're listening to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Hi, welcome to CCEF On The Go. My name is Alistair Groves, I'm your host, and today I'm talking with David Pallison, my colleague and our executive director at CCEF. David, welcome. It is a pleasure to be with you, Alistair. Thank you. I expect you to ask some really good question that gets us <laughs> off and rolling. All right, well, let's close in prayer. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, dude, what I wanted to do today was to actually um, do a, another uh, episode in our series that we've done a couple of called uh, Best of Psychology. And the, the core idea here is simply biblical counseling was founded uh, against the backdrop of psychology impinging upon the territory scripture needs to cover and we have been best known for our stance against psychology for places where we have offered what we believe are very important and fair critiques of a secular psychological mentality Um, but we've always said psychology has things to offer psychology has things that we must listen to and can grow from and can push us in helpful ways to be more biblical. And so my desire was just to to sort of take that particular strand of our thinking and and flesh it out a bit. Where has psychology been helpful? So I'd like to take the chance to just ask you personally, where have you found benefit from psychology? Sure. Yeah, let me uh, me preface it. It, The preface my personal remarks with with a general comment. I I do think it's fair to say that regarding the theme of that you're raising, that our only objection is with the impact of secularity on the understanding of people. Christian faith is a psychology. It's a way of understanding human experience. And so it's fair game to look at any aspect of human experience. And there may be people who have a very different worldview that we profoundly disagree with who are very insightful about human experience. Those people might be uh, psychologists, they might be novelists, they might be historians, they might be uh, Muslims, they might be sure. you name it. it just the uh, I've often thought in that along that vein, thought of my uncle who was uh, he was an interesting character. He was a blue collar guy who had a highly opinionated take on other people, and he was incredibly insightful about people's flaws. He had a he was an innate psychologist. Not a very constructive person and how he necessarily related to those flaws, but he knew people and he could call them out and point them out. Um, do I dismiss his insights? No, his, his insights um, were often very telling, though he didn't frame them the way that we as Christians would frame them or approach them with 
mercy and grace. So as I think about the question personally, uh, I came to faith when I was almost 26 years old. I had been myself in psychotherapy for three years at that point. I had been working in psychiatric hospitals for three years. And perhaps the easiest way to frame the question is when I came to faith in Christ, deep, genuine, life-transforming, Damascus Road, turn your world upside down, did it immediately erase everything that I had learned about working in patients, you know, working on a, on a locked ward with very troubled people. What, what uh, was everything erased or was it that everything was somehow changed, but there were lots of things that were there that were very prone to being redeemed. So that, um, that's, the, that's, in a sense, the large-scale way I'd put it. Mm. Can, I, um, can I see if I'm following your line of... What you're saying makes sense. I'm, I'm thinking, um, no, indeed, not everything was erased. No, uh, I, I, all those experiences mark me to this day. Right. So a, a new light comes on. You see everything from a, through a different lens, from a different angle. The, the same facts, if you will, but with, with different meaning in a different light. Um, and so you come away from that, and here you are, X number of years later, uh, still in... 42 years later, yes. Uh, still thinking about people, still thinking about troubled people, still thinking how do we, how do we help. Um, what, what would you say are some of the core things you observe, things that have stuck with you? And mm-hmm. I'm interested as well in how, how a different light has illuminated them differently, but yeah. what, what are some of those things you yeah, point yeah. to? You know, I, I think one thing that... Um, you mentioned facts and information. That certainly is part of it. I think probably more significant are the word skills doesn't quite capture it, but skills understand sort of more of those lived understandings of people, attitudes. For example, it is characteristic of the men and women who work in a, in a psychiatric hospital, as I did, is you really care about people. You really care. These are troubled people. Your job is defined by caring for them. And that uh, that's certainly nothing that as in becoming a Christian, caring doesn't change. It should be um, amplified, not It's erased. amplified. And yeah. it's amplified actually in some interesting ways. It's it it one of one of the ways that care tends to be shut off at a certain point in a secular setting is the way that a label interferes and people start to, the well start to see the sick as defined through a label. Uh, One of the things that actually even contributed to my coming to faith is seeing the places, the points of contact and similarity between both very troubled people and supposedly normal people like me and the rest of us on the staff. We were certainly different in degree different by the, you know, there was a reason we got to go home and had keys and the people there didn't get to go home and didn't have keys, but they struggled with all the same human stuff. And so a kind of care that isn't top down, but actually is side by side is, it is one of the unique strengths of our Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And it's a far deeper kind of care that doesn't presume my health and your pathology but presumes that however troubled you are, well, the way that Paul puts it, there's no temptation that's overtaken us that's not common to all, though 
You may struggle in much more extreme ways than I do, but there are points of contact in what people struggle with. So care, genuine care, got amplified by, and obviously genuine care is not a secular. Right. It doesn't belong to the secular world. It's great that the secular world shows some really, you know, challenging, provocative forms of care that the church is often, People are more flipped out or freaked out by really troubled people. So the willingness to care, the willingness to, the form of care that is patient and willing to hang in there for the long haul. I mean, that's another thing that in the secular world, the expectation, one, you could say the expectations of change in one sense are too low, but a positive is that they tend to be willing to hang in there for something that could be long and hard. and. I get, that too gets transformed by Christian faith. Patience is transformed with a more optimistic hope for people. But it doesn't ever turn giddy as though whiz bang, sprinkle some fairy dust on somebody and all their problems go away. You know, it's interesting. I'd be curious to hear you say a little bit more about your comment a moment ago of saying, I wouldn't quite call them skills. And I, I raise that because that is, um, as a biblical counselor, when I have interaction with um, with folks in the mental health profession uh, outside of the biblical counseling world, I, that is one of the words that most often crops up, is, is talking about these, these skills, and I, I spent enough time in seminary and apologetics classes, you know, thinking about, there, there are no neutral skills, there are no neutral tools, there's no such thing as like, well, this is just a fact about all people, and no one's interpreting that at all, and it just sort of exists out there in the abstract and it's true and it doesn't matter if you're an atheist or a Christian you see it the same way it's well no we're all seeing through some lens that radically shapes what we even mean by a skill or a tool I think the challenge I often face is is articulating the difference in a helpful way mm-hmm. so so let's let's run with the word skills for a moment sure let's think you know okay what about talking patiently to someone what about the skill of um, of having insight into another person's, well, their, you know, your uncle is an example of someone who is who is good at identifying strands or patterns or themes in a person's life. In in counseling, one of the things that I'm fully convinced a good biblical counselor should be doing is helping a person to more clearly understand what's going on inside their own mm-hmm. thinking and desiring. Um, and 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 then you could you know you could look over to the secular world and say, okay, motivational interviewing or uh, psychoanalysis or any number of other even some little CBT uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or, or other such things are are seeking to evoke through the skill of helping someone examine themselves a, a deeper self-understanding um, I think the the paradigm I hear you setting is um, there's a way in which we we embrace anyone who's trying to help anyone understand themselves better in any way because or we're going to be some, we're going to have an, there'll be analogies there, and there will be analogies. It'll, it'll vary. Uh, for example, we might say that a cognitive behavioral therapist will be more like Christian faith and that they, are, they believe that some framework of truth mm-hmm. and true thoughts versus false thoughts is important. Now, we're going to differ fundamentally with that therapist because we have a different idea of what's true. And we also don't believe that truth resides in 
a set of cognitive rehearsals in your own mind, but that the truth, in a biblical sense, establishes a relationship. So we're not interested in just tweaking the words one says to oneself about oneself. We're interested in people learning how to relate to the living God the way the Psalms relate. So it's like cognitive behavioral therapy in that we are committed to intervene in a person's falsehoods Mm -hmm. with something that we believe is true. But everything else after that parallel is also different. Um, And yet cognitive behavioral therapy is certainly, you might say, borrowing a piece of God's reality in that it believes that what a person thinks matters. A more psychotherapeutic approach that explores a person's personal history uh, is non, much less interventive, uh, is going to be analogous to us in a different way uh, and will also be discontinuous with what we believe in a different way. So, And I, I think you're, you're putting more flesh even on, on sort of where I was going a moment ago, just that you're, you're, you're saying it, the, if we make a critique as biblical counselors, it should not be a critique of a skill per se. It should rather be a, a critique that that fits that skill into a broader context and says, well, "What do you even mean mm-hmm. when you say skill? Yeah. And how are you? What do you mean by truth? What do you mean? What is your goal? What is your vision of what a person is? Is it a relational vision between a person and God, or is it a self-contained, autonomous thought machine that you're just trying to tweak? You you're putting the speaking of what you see as truth into a very different framework." Yeah. I mean, here would be here would be another example where uh, one of the strengths that I think I learned uh, by four years working in psychiatric hospitals is asking good questions. Here's another strength: becoming comfortable with troubled and troublesome people. Is that a is that a skill, or is that just yeah. something that comes out of life experience? Or here's another strength: that uh, trying to set concrete realistic goals for a person. We could go on, you know, but th- those kinds of things are, they are certainly they are certainly things that I didn't unlearn because I became a Christian, but they are things that took on a much greater depth and resonance and implications in becoming a Christian. But I'm very grateful for the, the fact that I am comfortable with troubled and troublesome people. I've learned to ask questions. I uh, desire to set realistic goals in a conversation with someone rather than just floundering around and talking about whatever happened, you know, happens to come to mind. I'm about to do something very foolish and attempt to summarize a subject that goes far beyond summary um, in, in this brief of a conversation. But w- would it be fair without? too much accusation of oversimplification to say that as you look back and you reflect personally you would say I I gained quite a lot from that and actually it's not like oh I learned to ask good questions and so that was a skill I then brought into my Christian faith and then my Christian faith did other things and thankfully I still had that skill of asking mm-hmm. good questions sitting there on the shelf that I could access when I needed it it's rather I spent three four years learning to ask much better questions than I knew how to do before that experience. And then when my faith came into being, when the, when the Lord quickened my spirit, um, 
the way I, I took how I knew, how I'd learned to ask questions um, actually began to flower in, in different directions. It, yeah. it actually, it wasn't that, that I added on a Christian overtone to it or now I ask Christian questions. It's actually my ability to to move towards another person with curiosity mm-hmm. and to move toward them with a sense of what kind of response I might get from certain types of questions was was honed. But, but the whole thing was in one sense... Um, I'm looking for an analogy and I'm struggling to find it, but it, but it, it is, it was exploded by my Christian faith rather than simply, um, added, added, it wasn't additive. It was something transformative. So you, you think how, and this fits with what you said earlier, that there's no just neutral skill out there. Every, every question that any counselor or any person in conversation ever asks is always heading in a direction. And that direction is based on a worldview. It's based on an assessment of what's important. It's based on a set of goals. It, if you could dig down even into something as mundane as how you doing today, there's actually a set of assumptions and there's a destination. And there's a way you'll interpret what the person says. And the way, and I, w- I would suggest that one of the ways that you would see what you're saying acted out is if you actually transcribed a conversation that in which one person's asking a series of questions, by the time you get to the third or fourth question, it's even if you start out the same, like, how are you feeling? By the time you get to the third or fourth question, you're probably going to see a distinctive effect of a Christian worldview. Because we interpret feelings based on a different understanding of the nature of suffering, the nature of anxiety, the nature of God, the purpose of life, what it is that people struggle with. We interpret joys and satisfactions in a different way from a secular person. We interpret heartaches, sorrows, sins, guilt, shame, confusion, anxiety in a different way. And it will show up in a line of questioning that we are actually asking questions in a different worldview. Even if the opening question is word for word identical. Here's another thing that I, I think is, again, it's n- none of these things that I've l- I learned were are distinctively secular. They're they're all things that are part of being human. And so one of the things I would say that I greatly appreciate it's part of why I became comfortable with people that have troubles is uh, just case experience, case wisdom. You hang around a lot of people that struggle, and pretty soon they're going to not seem as odd. Or you're going to have seen what works or doesn't work. You're going to start to develop what the feels. What are the patterns? What, you know, why is saying that not going to be helpful for someone who struggles with this? Right. And you, so or, or at least why is it going to produce a certain result? Because even even terms like helpful and works presuppose yeah. goals and they presuppose goals. Yeah. But is it is it like this? Is it like? Um, you work in a, let's take your example, you, you, you spend time in a, a psychiatric inpatient setting and it's like learning to play baseball really, really well. And then you become a Christian and you joined a football team. And you're in much better shape than you would have been. And you know something about what it feels like to hold a ball in your hand. But, but even though you have, there's a lot of similarity, there's running and there's cleats and there's helmets, uh, which, which are overlapping between the two, 
the differences are enormous. The purposes are entirely different. The, the rules and things you're concerned about are different. Uh, the, the gap is huge, although... Christian faith is much more from. a contact sport than baseball. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. I baseball, if you like that. Make contact with the with the second baseman sliding in with your cleats high. Yeah, exactly. You're in trouble. That's right. That's right. Do you, you, you want uh, yeah, to react to that? That's an interesting metaphor. Um, similar yeah, tools, it, similar skills. There's a competition. Games. There's a it's there's a it's there's two sides. There's the darkness and the light. There's uh, c- certain objectives. Yeah. There's a ball that you throw. There's Many similarities. Uh, many similarities, and yet it's fundamentally different. Yeah, that's a. Yeah, it, it I'm sure that I'm sure the, the metaphor breaks down at a certain point. Yeah. But. Uh, um, yeah, you've given me. Some, I'll ponder that, <laughs> Alistair, before right, before right. deciding that you've, you've made a, a grotesque caricature. All right, I won't, I won't hold you so. to it. I won't hold myself to it either. That's yeah. the problem with being someone yeah. who thinks out loud is you don't find out what you think until you say it out loud when everyone else finds out. Well, you know what? I, maybe this is one of the places the metaphor breaks down is that um, it looks like you're doing the same thing. You know, you're sitting there talking with someone. You're at your... You love them. You care about them. You care about their problems. You may even, up to a certain point, define their problems similarly. You both agree that that person having a panic attack, that that's a problem, not something to be nurtured. You agree that that person starving herself to death has a problem, not rather than say, that's just fine, I don't really care, or keep doing it. Um, So there are strong analogies, and at the same time, The differences are so profound. Uh, I've tended to think of the analogy, my metaphors have tended to be religious metaphors in that, say that take the relationship between Christianity and Islam. They both have a supreme being, they're monotheistic. They both, uh, their supreme being even has the same Semitic root, you know, Allah and Elohim. There's a leader in a gathering place with a gathering, a congregation, and you have spiritual leadership, there are sermons, there are um, prayers, there's an interest in salvation, uh, but why are they, when you go six inches below those surface similarities, why are they so absolutely different? Uh, And they are. Uh, And yet an Islamic scholar might have the same critiques of certain, say, uh, tendencies within Christendom between, say, liberals and conservatives that we might say as Christians looking at Islam and seeing more liberal and more, quote, conservative Islamists. Um, So many parallels, and yet the entire orientation of it, the purpose of prayer, the one you're praying to, the man's deepest need, the goals are all different. Well, to be continued. my brain is exploding. Yeah. So. No, I mean, it fits with the, 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 the question you're posing in our podcast, the series on, you know, what's, what's the good in right. secular we, psychology by, by, it. by its own nature is going to raise nuanced answers that try to get at, you know, why, 
why is that person so caring? And yet, why is the way where they're, the things they're doing to try help that anxious person, why are they so, we both want to alleviate anxiety. So why is what we're doing and saying at the end so different? Or are those differences meaningless? I mean, that's what some therapies, sort of meta therapies would say. It's if you just care about people and say something that sort of makes sense, it'll, right. it's really the caring that makes the difference. Right. Um, and the statistics are there to back it up. You know, yeah. everybody hit bats about the same. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Well, we leave it here for today and we just say there, there's this really significant difference. There's this way in which we want to be pressed by our secular neighbors. And there's this way in which we want to call it skills, call it qualities, call it whatever you want. But there's a right way to, to say every, everything we can learn from those who are caring for people. For those who are observing patterns in human behavior that are troubling, we we want to take that on board, um, but we anticipate that in every case, anything that is in any way, even a dim reflection of God's perfect love and perfect care and perfect insight, uh, that we should have perfect wisdom, a perfect wisdom, uh, a perfect help, um, and perfect words, and 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 every bit of it, we we should we should expect that the that the best things that the secular world brings to helping troubled people, we ought to look at. And at the end of the day, find ourselves saying, Scripture has been about this from yeah. the, from the and, first page And as even better and deeper and wider and, and longer. And, and leads us to, yeah. to be able to take what we're seeing that's most effective, yeah. and, and it ought to be done even better. And sadly, we, don't, we often don't live up to what our, we don't. What our, yeah. our, our creed would call us to. Uh, we're not as skilled as we would like to be in executing these things, but you know, you know this, the Lord this has be, that for us. This may be a way to add a certain kind of closure to our conversation. I, when I left uh, working in the mental hospital, and this is another thing, mental hospitals, the staffs do very well at this: is closure and farewells. They have a they meet, whole staff meets. There's honesty. There's sharing. There's tears. There's congratulation. There's appreciation. It's a it's a very moving time in the life, uh, the institutional life of a, of a staff. Uh, during that, our head psychiatrist turned to me and he said, you know, David, I've been watching you this last nine months, because I, nine months before that I became a Christian, and I've never understood how someone could become more religious working here. Now, that's his way of putting it as a secular man. And it was, he was respectful. He was appreciative. Uh, and my comment was something along the lines of, you know, being coming a Christian has made me realize how, to what depth we need healing. And I found that healing in Jesus Christ. Again, I was still a young Christian. I probably would use slightly different language now. Um, but to be healed is a perfectly good biblical metaphor for our struggle with our sinfulness, our mortality, the deviancy of our hearts, the mercies of God that engage us both in truth and in power, in love, in patience, in a transformative process. Um, I couldn't have probably put that sentence together as a brand new Christian. But um, you, you see human woe and you see people trying to help and to encounter a gospel that digs deeper into human woe and offers deeper help is just the most marvelous thing in the world. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
nothing lost by becoming a Christian, much gained um, by the, that renovation of whatever skills, wisdom, experience had been there. Well, David, thank you so much for coming in today, and I look forward to our next conversation. Blessings, Alistair. If you made it through our meandering conversation and you want something to sink your teeth into that's a little less open-ended than my awkward sports analogy, you should read an article by Ed Welch called 10 Ways Ordinary People Can Help Those with Psychiatric Problems. As always, you can find a link on our website, ccef.org podcast, right below today's episode. It will be free of charge until we post the next episode of our podcast. Just enter the coupon code PODCAST at checkout. And if you have any feedback for us from today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. Just email us at podcast at ccef.org. Till next time, blessings. Blessings.